Welcome to episode 3 of the Clinch Fight Podcast. The topic for this episode is the highly anticipated rematch between Alexander Povetkin versus Dillian White this Saturday in Gibraltar. We will also discuss four fights in the undercard as well as giving you our prediction for each of those contests. Before we begin, it would be criminal to start this episode without a tribute to the great, marvellous Marvin Hagler, who passed away on the 13th of March. Hagler is best remembered for being part of that golden, fabulous four era in the 80s, which included himself, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberta Duran and Tommy Hearns. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter at capital Y underscore capital C for clinch, Instagram at a clinch fight podcast, and you can also find us on YouTube by searching A Clinch Fight Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe and like our video. Today is a special episode. It is the debut of my brand new boxing co-host, Mr. Josh Hurst. Josh, on behalf of A Clinch Fight Podcast, welcome to the team. Thank you, thank you. Good to be involved. Gosh, Dillian White was mandatory for over a thousand days for Deontay Wilder. However, since losing to Povetkin, he lost his WBC interim belt and he's no longer number one with the WBC. How important is this fight for Dillian White's career? Is it make or break? I really think this is a career-defining fight. Um, I just think a loss here, I really think it's a very long road uh, back to world title contention. Uh, yeah, for him to lose here, I think Povetkin in the first place was supposed to be not so much a walkover, but uh, you know just to sort of keep him taking over with high-level opposition. But you know his whole world's been turning its head at the moment, so I really find it hard to see where he goes back uh, to to up there uh, following. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the main thing for Dillian White as well is outside of you know. AJ, Fury, and Wilder, he's probably one of very few pay-per-view main event attractions as well. And I think if he loses this fight with Povetkin, will people pay for a Dillian White pay-per-view main event again? I'm not sure. Yeah. I think for the, the double blunder, maybe to lose back-to-back, his, his stocks will go down quite a lot. So I think, yeah, I think... Sorry, Deontay Wilder. I think, uh, I think uh, Dillian White against anyone is always going to be... a uh, a big money fight just with the back end of matchroom and just sort of him being probably the number two or number three, sorry, uh, heavyweight uh, in Britain. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. For, for, for a long time, I, I think Dillian was regarded as probably the best heavyweight outside of that big three for, for a long yeah. time. And I think now that, that loss of Etkin has kind of damaged that reputation. So, you, you know, it, Dillian White needs to prove now, really, whether it was just a kind of kind of a fluke. It was. I don't think it was a fluke because the way Povetkin set that punch up so perfectly, yeah. shown he's been working on working on that in the gym. However, you know he needs to show that was it more of a mistake on his behalf. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think you're right. I think at the moment there's there is an air of doubt sort of hanging above him. So it's up for him. It's up to him now to make this a uh, bounce back and treat it not so much as a fluke, but just a dip in the dip in the road. For sure, for sure. Um, what does Dillian White need to do to win this fight? Are there any changes he needs to make, do you think? Uh, it's, a, it's a hard one, this question, because I think if you look at the fight, I think he was dominating the fight. You, you could argue maybe he needed to put, put the gas on when he had Povetkin hurt, but then at the same time, I think anyone knows Povetkin is dangerous and you know he proved it and the round he knocked him out. So to say what went wrong, really what happened was, in my eyes, he switched off and just can't afford to switch off against someone as deadly as Povetkin, as you said, even though some people might say it was from, you know, punch from the gods, uh, X, Y, Z, the way he set it up, the slip, the uppercut, you know, that's Povetkin to a T really, isn't it? The, the short uh, angle punches, so. Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. Like that, that knockout is such like a highlight reel knockout as well. Like. The way he sets that up is it's probably the best knockout I've ever seen live from in 
at that at that heavyweight level because you know you can just like I said before you know he was practicing that in the gym constantly the yeah. way he throws that jab that little feint to the left and then yeah. and the way what what I love about that knockout as well is that Povetkin's not really loading up that much either it's just no. pure fluent technique the way he the way yeah. he throws up a and, and it's the timing because you can see. You can see what uh, White had no idea it was coming either. No. And they say, you know, it's the ones that, that you don't see are the knockout punches because you can't brace for it at all. So he said it was sort of a weird sort of shovel hook almost. Yeah, for so, sure. For sure. So, yeah, but Povetkin, you know, up close, that's that's where he shines, isn't it? The the slip steps and hooking uppercut. You know, you, I think you can't get caught up in a fight like that, especially where White's... You know, notably, notably bigger than him as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think. I, um, go on. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong in the fight. It was more maybe he just got, maybe got a bit ahead of himself or, or gave, gave himself a bit too much breathing room. But I think maybe I'd like to think he's learned the hard way that you can't afford to do that against someone like Kvetkin. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's a tough one, really, because. At the highest level, when you have someone as dangerous as Povetkin hurt and you knock him down, how was it, two or three times he knocked him down in that fight? Yeah. You kind of, if you don't jump on him, you kind of get punished further down the stretch. But at the same time, if you get over-eager, you also get yeah. punished, as evidently happened in that fight. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost down, down if you do, down if you don't. But, um, you, you know, you could say if there was 30 seconds more of that, I think it was third round, Povetkin would have been out of there because you could see the Povetkin's corn, corner were almost ready to towel up, I think. So it's just one of those things, really. Definitely. With, with a veteran like Povetkin, you can kind of, you have the experience to kind of get, get yourself out of those difficult situations, don't you? Um, Josh, does Dillian White need to make a statement in this rematch or do you think he needs to just get the job done to be in line for a potential world title shot? Um, I personally think a win would be enough. I think just Povetkin, more so now with him knocking out White, is always going to be a win that's respected because I think Povetkin gives any heavyweight uh, a difficult night. So I don't think he necessarily needs to put a statement, but if he really wants to catapult himself back into that, you know, number one contender spot or, you know, around there, I think he's got an opportunity here to really clear any doubt that there was over him. So... I think for him, focus on the win, but at the same time, if he can do it, you know, spectacularly, then you know that sort of air of doubt that's been hanging over him since the knockout, it might be pinned more to a, a fluke or just a, like I said, a dip in the road. Yeah, and I think then with Dillian White as well, he's not majorly experienced in boxing either. Mm. He's in a sense, you could argue, he's a bit of an overachiever, really. I know he's mm. got that big kickboxing background. He was the British uh, kickboxing champion for a while and I think he fought at European level so he obviously he took the scenic route into boxing but in terms of actual you know the sport itself he, he isn't very experienced I think he's said he I think he had like five amateur fights something like something yeah. really not a, in a uh, short amount of time and obviously turned professional um, kind of boxing as small hall shows so I think him being matched up with someone as experienced and as talented as Povetkin, I, th I think a victory really is the most important thing for him. Definitely. And you could see with Povetkin, the knockout itself, that, you know, that's not just, that's not just something random. You know, Povetkin is used to fighting these kind of people for the whole of his career. You know, he's, he's an Olympian himself. He's, he's got real pedigree. And I think it's almost like autopilot shots like that. So I think, in the heavyweights, it's sort of, you know, you can always get caught up, uh, you know, like I said, overachieving because brute force sometimes can get you get you quite far. And you can see sometimes White is, can be a bit sloppy. But it's interesting. I thought he was actually boxing quite well before that. I'm not Again, I'm not sure whether he just sort of gave himself a bit too much breathing room, but someone like Vekin, who's, you know, especially with the Russians, and they're very, you know, almost militant with, with their training. Like I said, it almost seemed like he was just on autopilot. He, he was able to pull a knockout like that off. So, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I think prior to that knockout, it was almost a punch-perfect uh, performance from Dillian White. That's probably the best I've seen in box. Like, the way he used his yeah. jab was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, looked, he looked reasonably light on his feet for, for, for a big yeah. guy as well. And I really he think he was, he was putting in a really yeah. good performance as well, considering he just had Mark Tibbs leave his corner as well. And probably, it's fair yeah. to say... 
the team he has now is less experienced than Mark Tibbs. But I thought, you know, it didn't didn't like it was affecting him at all before that knockout. Yeah. I thought he was looking really good. Yeah. Uh, where do you think Dillian goes if he wins this fight? AJ this Fury looks like it should be happening next. The prospect of Deontay Wilder this Andy Ruiz happening this year seems to be gaining quite a lot more interest now. If those four names are tied up, so Ruiz, Wilder, AJ and Fury, what's next for White? I think win or lose, it'll be hard for White. I think, you know, a win here, yeah, it's all good that he beats Povetkin, but like we said, it's just sort of especially heavyweights and the politics involved. If those four are tied up, it's really, I still feel like it's a, it's hard for him to keep progressing. I think the only way, you know, you could argue maybe he can go fight some more of the fringe, sort of fringe level, uh, fringe of world level fighters, but he's, you know, he's already done that. He's in his sort of win streak. He, that's sort of been his bag, um, dealing with that sort of opposition. So I feel like, you know, to go to fight one of them would be almost like a low, uh, low reward, high risk sort of uh, fight for him. You could argue maybe Usyk Joyce route, but I I think they're both really bad matchups for him because, mm. like you said, uh, you know he's quite tied up with the WBC uh, rankings. I don't think he's very well ranked with any of the other bodies. So you know that that could be an opportunity to get in with the WBO and maybe you know sort of spread his uh his stocks a bit. But I personally would like to see him against Wilder if that could be made possible because I think that's the perfect fight to cement himself as number one contender behind. Fury and AJ. I think it's a fight that was obviously a lot of politics and with the thousand day scenario. Uh, as a real, I think it would turn into a real grudge match. But uh, like you said, if he's tied up with Andy Ruiz, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wilder takes that route as opposed to, to Dylan White. No, I agree. It's, it's a really tough situation for Dylan White because he'll either have to wait probably over 18 months to get a shot at either the Fury AJ winner and also, like you said, Uzik and Joyce, if he if he tests himself against one of those, even though, in my opinion, they're probably the next big thing, providing the Wild and Ruiz will be tied up, they're just both terrible matchups for him. Like, Joyce could be too fit and strong for him, potentially. I think even in the later stages of the fight, I do feel like White starts to deteriorate a little bit, especially around, yeah. around eight or nine. And yeah. Uzik is Uzik. He's a tricky southpaw. He, you know... Unless you're getting good money to fight Usyk, you want to stay well away from him, don't you? Yeah, I think I think Usyk just gives you the puncher's chance in essence because boxing boxing level, I think he's he's on another level. Maybe except for Tyson Fury, I think Tyson Fury, I think is the wrong fight for him. But any of the the more you know sloppy or robotic sort of heavyweights have a hard day against Usyk, I think. So I yeah. agree for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, let's move on to a bit more about Alexander Povetkin because, after all, he was the winner here and he deserves a lot of talk in this episode. Povetkin pulled off quite a big upset in their first encounter by knocking White out cold. However, White is the favourite going into this rematch again. Why do you think this is? And do you agree? Uh, I think think, uh, maybe on a casual view... So a lot of people, you know, I think I think Dylan White is sort of like I said, he's got quite a lot of stocks. I think people will watch him <clears throat> without necessarily appreciating the fight too much itself or what's actually going on. I think most people would probably think that Povetkin got that punch from the gods, that lucky punch. And I think anyone watching would know that he was that White was dominating the first three rounds and obviously nearly got him out of there. So I think there's a big uh, big stigma attached to it. <clears throat> Povetkin just getting a lucky punch. However, you know, I think if you take a closer look and if you just look at Povetkin's history, you know these punches are sort of encrypted into his brain. You know, like, it all, like I said, it almost looked like autopilot him doing it. So I, I still think White is the deserving um, favourite because I, th- I do feel like it was the case of him switching off. However, I think Povetkin is still being overlooked a lot. You know, what more does he need to do? He, he knocked him out cold. It wasn't count out it was straight on his chair on his back you know I think that this I think he's almost being dismissed as uh you know as more as White's failure as opposed to Povetkin's success so it's a, it's a thin line but I I do think the White is the favorite if he's if he stays switched on 
No, I agree. Yeah, I think White, as the previous state previously stated, he was busting Vekin up, and he was looking really good prior to to that knockdown. Um, however, though, I think in terms of like technique and precision, like there's not much better up than Povetkin. Like, you can yeah. tell he comes from, you know, the old school of boxing. Everything he doesn't waste any punches. He knows how to pressure his man. He knows exactly what he's doing in that ring. I think I think it's going back to to what I was sort of getting at is I think to the to the average fan I think Povetkin is overlooked because these things that he does you know if you haven't watched many of Povetkin's fight or you don't know too much about uh, what Povetkin's doing you know it is really high level stuff I think you know I think if Povetkin was a bit bigger he'd be a, a real nightmare for a lot of people so he, he he's learned to fight the way he has because he's a bit on the smaller size uh, height wise I think sometimes he might have lost just from sheer power of other heavyweights but he is he, you know he's an elite boxer and, and it shows so i think when you start paying a bit more attention to the little things he's doing the the slight slips the you know even with the knockout you couldn't be any more of a perfect punch than how it was but you, you don't just fluke stuff like that it's it's because it's so hard right into him so i think uh he is being overlooked because he has got that pedigree which is really valuable Definitely. You, you don't win a gold medal for nothing, that's for sure. And to beat the fighters that he has beaten and to stay in the game as long as he has. Just going back to that Olympic gold medal, um, he's achieved so much in the sport. He's also a former world champion. You can argue you can argue a secondary world champion as he held the regular belt. However, yeah. now 41 years of age, what do you think is the motive for Povetkin? I think I'd love to give a sort of really detailed, interesting answer. But personally, I just think he loves a scrap because you would you would think he he would have really maybe called it quits by now. You know, he, he is getting older. He's been in quite a few wars. But I just think with Povetkin, no matter what, he's always he's never going to be an easy fight for any heavyweight. You, you see anyone he goes against, he gives problems to even Anthony Joshua. You could you gave him problems, he broke his nose. So I, I think, you know, maybe I, I personally think going into the white fight, he's probably got the end in mind. I think he thought that's probably the la the next, you know, especially after the Michael Hunter draw, things like that. I think maybe that he might have thought that was his last ticket to uh to get a good payday before he retired. But then also maybe just him him winning there has made him just thought, you know what? Maybe I have got another streak in me, you know, to, to maybe go for one more or get that actual world title that, you know, he he, was, he he had a regular title, but you don't want to go down as the regular champion, isn't it? So I think he, he loves a fight. I think maybe this has given him a bit of a uh, bit of a boost to to really give it this last push to to get something or even if it's not the title to get a, a bigger, big event to end it off with. No, definitely, yeah. Um, I think with Povetkin, I think he's kind of in a situation where he just thinks, if I just keep winning, who knows what opportunities can go my way? I've yeah, turned definitely. up for this fight against Dillian White and I've got the victory and I pulled it out the bag. Yeah. If I've beat him once, I could beat him again. If, yeah. I, do, if I do beat him again, then what, who knows what opportunities this can lead to? If I can still fight, I'll still get paid. So why retire if I'm still capable of beating these top guys? Hmm. I think that's the mindset, really, Povetkin. And like you said, you know, he's a Russian warrior. He loves to tear up. And I yeah. think while he's one of those, while he can still fight, he will just continue to do it. Simple yeah. as. So at Povetkin's age, this could well be his last fight. If he was to retire after the Dillian White rematch, will he be remembered as a boxing legend? Um... Or Hall of Famer? I'd like to think so, but I think it goes back to, especially with heavyweights, you know, heavyweights are always going to be the main attraction to boxing. That's just a given. Um, even though you might argue it's not the most uh, sort of high level boxing itself, it's, it's normally because there's knockouts and there's a tear up. I think with Povetkin, he's still quite an unknown quantity to your casual fan, which I think that's where you enter sort of dangerous territory to whether he'd be considered the boxing legend because, you know, it, if you think of what we consider the boxing greats, is is people who have 
who have done who have done everything and people who have been marketed the right way and you know and had those big fights. I think Povetkin, I think to those who know boxing will be a legend because he's he you know, he's always been at that level. He's always uh he's always been in good fighting and he's never not in a good fight. But I think he he goes into the territory of is he just sort of uh you know is he just a good contender? And obviously if you think maybe back to his uh his uh, drug issue as well, going back a few years. That's another thing that that you know people are already a bit put off about him. So I think to to those who watch boxing, I'd like to think he'd be a legend because he's like you said, he sort of brings that old school kind of uh, real technique to the heavy, which which is can be a bit non-existent nowadays, especially with people just getting bigger and you getting stronger and all you know uh, practically athletes and. All this whole strength and conditioning stuff. So, I think uh, I'd like to think he goes on a legend, but I can equally see how that that's limited to those who are aware of his career properly. To your cat, to your casual fan, I think he's it's a shame, but I think he is uh, forgettable. Yeah, for sure. I I agree with that statement. He could he could easily be forgotten. I think in years to come. Um, I think he's achieved a lot in the game. I think his career des- deserves to be respected. However, those incidents where he was he has tested positive um for being you know, for being a drug cheat a yeah. lot of people that plays a lot of people's minds and a lot of people will will not put him in the hall of fame and he may not well get in the hall of fame because of those reasons and it wasn't it wasn't just the once it was quite yeah. a few it was quite a few times wasn't it however yeah. Povetkin has been part of some big events he fought AJ at Wembley he fought Klitschko in Russia I think he. I think he's that's still the highest paid fight in Russia to date, as well. Mm. So it, it was a big occasion. So he has done a lot for the sport of boxing, but there's always there's positives and negatives in his career, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's the. Oh, sorry. Prediction. Yeah, Who do you fair. think wins, and what is the method of victory? So going back again, I do think. Even though you know, I think Kovac has been overlooked. I do think it was more the case of White uh, switching off. So, like I said, if you saw the first the first three rounds, White looked really sharp. He it wasn't sort of his average. You know, in the past he's looked a bit sloppy and just goes out there maybe clubs people with, with his size. But um, he looked sharp. It looked like he was a sort of calculated beatdown. But I think maybe more so now he's going to go out and look for the violence. So. I think white knockout early personally, but then it's one of those things. It's hard to bet against Povetkin because you never know. He's got such a big bag of tricks and in his arsenal, so it's hard to bet against him. But if I had to, I would say white early probably. I don't think he'll want to waste time. Um, I, I think he'll be going out to make a statement. I don't think he needs to, but I don't think he'll waste any time. If he smells blood, he'll he'll go for it to to really try and sort of claw back uh, the, any any sort of stocks that he lost in his last fight. Interesting. Um, I predict a white knockout about round six. I think he's going to want to take Povetkin into a little bit of deep waters first. Mm-hmm. I think in the last fight, he looked in shape, he looked fit, but I think because it was more of a, a technique boxing mistake he made in that first fight, I think his main yeah. focus going into this rematch would be kind of working on his boxing yeah. technique, working on different things in the gym. And I yeah. think he's going to try and take Povetkin into those deeper waters because early in the fight, that's when Povetkin's more dangerous. But I think by the time it gets to about round six, he's probably mm. busted Povetkin up quite badly by then. And I think mm. his corner might throw in the towel. Yeah, I think uh, I second that. I think if I was telling why. If I was White's coach, that's exactly what I would say. You know, in in previous fights, again going back to the Michael Hunter fight, he he looked knackered towards the end. Obviously, Michael Hunter's got a different kind of pace, so it's a bit different. But I think, um, especially if you think, I think even a consideration is with Povetkin having COVID. Apparently, he struggled with it as well. Might be even be uh, another another factor for him slowing down towards the end. So I, I would be telling White to go and stick to your jab. You know, don't give him any sort. Don't leave any holes for him to find. But then, I think we've mentioned before. He's 
White can be a bit of an emotional fighter, so I don't doubt if he does get a good crack on them that he'll want he won't want to make the mistake of uh, feeling like he. I think he, he probably would have beat himself quite a, beat himself up quite a lot last fight, thinking I literally had this guy on his knees, and then thirty seconds later, he, you know, a minute later, he's he's put me spark out. So yeah, I I think that, that is probably the the smartest way to go. But I do wonder whether White will. Uh, once he smells blood, we'll just go for it. Definitely. And I do think he needs to with someone that's as dangerous as Pavekin. Okay, we're going to move on now <clears throat> to the yeah. undercard. We're going to start with the British title fight between Ted Cheeseman and James Metcalf. Josh, Cheeseman has held the British title before. He challenged for the European title against Sergio Garcia, but it was probably too early for him at that time in his career. He's fighting for his old belt once again against an undefeated JJ Metcalf. How crucial is a win for Cheeseman at this stage of his career? Um, I think every win for Cheeseman or every fight now for Cheeseman is really uh, is really crucial because I think uh, Cheeseman's got a lot of stigma about him being quite one-dimensional. Very, you know, he just comes forward and he doesn't start coming forward. And I think in the past when he's stepped up to the higher level than domestic, it's been he's been exposed for that because people with him who are a bit slicker, a bit of uh, a bit more boxers, a bit more slippery, have, have you know just beat him up for the whole the whole round. And you could argue that he's he's a bit too tough for his own good. So he's very weathered for for the amount of fights he has. So I think there's still quite a lot of doubt with him, uh, sort of what level he is at. Yeah. So I think it is crucial for him to win the stage to, if he really wants to. Uh, go further than just British level like, like you said that's his old title as soon as he just stepped up to European he, he got sort of uh, he got taught a lesson and then got put back down and then even fighting back again at domestic level he, you know he lost to Scott Fitzgerald it's sort of like Anthony Fowler's in the mix so I think if he wants these fights and really wants to cement himself as Britain's best he, especially against someone who against JJ Metcalf I think he needs to be winning these fights because I think Metcalf is a level of a level below that again so yeah I think to lose to, to Metcalf here is it's really hard for him to, to sort of break through that, that uh, British boundary no definitely for sure I think the key word really for Ted Cheeseman is all about levels and he's, yeah. he's, he's been in that British level before he done well at that British level stepped up to the European level fell short probably was too early for him he's only 25 now but now he's coming back down to that British level He's, I think he's out there to prove a point that he's ready to have another go now at this European yeah. level. And JJ Metcalf is probably the good opportunity for him to demonstrate that because he is the Commonwealth champion after yeah. all. Do you think Cheeseman needs to look good in this fight? To need to, to get to and does he need to does he does he just need to get the win to move on to bigger things or does he need to make a statement? Uh, I think he just needs to win. I think in the past. The fights the besides Garcia, who, who he fought for European, I think the fights he has lost or drawn um, when he drew with Q and Conway have been sort of, uh, you could argue, did he win it, did he lose it? So I, I don't think it's even just the case of him, his levels. I think he just needs to win. I think he has been unlucky in maybe some of his decisions, but he's he's almost like a serial, serial loser when it comes to it. So you, you could argue whether that's just the judges on the night, but he, he obviously needs to put to tweak certain things to to appease the judges because something he's doing isn't working. So I definitely think he he is probably he, you know him uh, Fitzgerald uh, Fowler maybe and Kieran Conway are, are, are probably all knocking on the door for, n- for number one welterweight. Uh, sorry, super welter. But um, I think he yeah I think he really needs to just just to get the win here and just keep moving forward because. For him to have another stump in the road now, even his last fight against uh, Eggington, you could again was was a close fight, but he got the win. I think that's all that matters right now is just getting the win. For sure, for sure. Um, Metcalf, he's thirty-two years of age. He's undefeated with a record of twenty-one and zero, with thirteen of those by knockout. But this is by far probably the biggest opportunity and test of his career to date. How big is this fight for Metcalf? And providing he is successful. 
Do you think he should push for bigger opportunities sooner rather than later? Um, I think this is Metcalf's big sort of big big night now. I think he seems that he's a sort of small hole fighter. I think any matchroom event is, you know, a lot of people are really taking taking those opportunities with both hands because of the exposure you get from it. Cheeseman is, you know, he you could argue on his is sort of what Cheeseman turns up if, if he's not all there. He is probably is beatable. So Metcalf's probably licking his lips at this because he's got a good chance. Uh, you know, th- he's got a chance to. This this is his big day. So I think anyone with that, you know, with his age as well, you know, they're going to be hungry for it. So I also know I'm pretty sure his his father box as well. So okay, he said something about uh, wanting uh, his his dad wanted him to get the title he never could because. So, you know, little things like that on top of uh, all the build-up. I think he'll be going into it 100% focused. So I think Cheeseman, even though I think he probably is that level below still, I think it's always dangerous if he's not switched on. So so it would be interesting. I think, uh, and if he can win, you know, like you said, you, you probably get, uh, he's got the exposure then. So who, who knows what could go, go on for him? Yeah, he's, definitely. He's, I think it's a big opportunity for, for Metcalf because from what I've seen of Ted Cheeseman so far, it's like you said earlier, he is quite one-dimensional. He hasn't really showed us that he can do anything really apart from plow forward and slug it out. And I think if you come in with a good game plan, I think Cheeseman is very beatable. And yeah. like Sergio Garcia gave him a boxing lesson. You yeah. never know. We haven't, there's nothing really in, James Metcalf's career to suggest that, you know, that we've seen the best of him yet. He hasn't, yeah. because he's, his biggest opportunities to date was against Jason Wellborn. And, yeah. you know, that's still, that isn't the highest level of boxing by all means. So they step, yeah. he's been, he's stepping up again. We'll see what he's all about. Yeah. Credible name nonetheless on his record. So again, he's a bit of an unknown quantity, but I, I feel like people on the small hole shows that they're almost just bubbling for fights like this so I think Cheeseman really needs to be on his A game because this guy will be fighting fighting like it's it's his life or death for him so you know this is really his big chance for sure for sure what's your prediction for this fight Josh where do you how do you see it going I think uh, I think Cheeseman wins probably on points I think uh, sort of just doing some research about Cheeseman generally I think in the past he had pretty pretty full-on gambling addiction so he's sort of talked about before how he didn't even really train properly uh, uh I think this is prior to the Everton fight or when he, when he had those losing streaks so I think he's got a point to prove that he's not just uh, a slugger because he, he he does go off and go on about how he can box so I think he'll I think watching his last fight sort of him with Everton even though it was it was a war he did seem a bit more inclined to to box as opposed to just uh, going forward, going forward and just chasing someone down. So I think he won't be, I think where he now he's got this mindset where he just doesn't want to lose. I don't think he'll be uh, doing anything too risky, but I think his sort of uh, fitness and I, I think he does have, he does have box IQ in his locker. It's just whether he used it. So I, I think uh, Chiefman points. Yeah, I think it's quite an evenly. Um, I think it's evenly well matched. They're both, sorry, they're both evenly well matched. I think for this contest, but I think Cheeseman's experience and maybe youth and desire might be a bit too much for JJ Metcalf on the night. I think he'll probably go the distance as well, or maybe a late stoppage to Cheeseman, depending on what kind of fight it turns out. I think if it turns into a slugfest, I think it's, it's Cheeseman's fight to win, unless Metcalf. Um, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden shows that he can box to a game plan. He can box behind the jab and move about a bit. Then Cheeseman could be in trouble. But yeah. I think I think it will be a bit of a slugfest, and yeah. I think they'll go toe to toe. And I think that'll she- work in Cheeseman's favour. And I'm going to predict think- Cheeseman round ten. Good. I, I think Cheeseman, uh, even in the past when he's been slugging it, I think he's more of a volume puncher as opposed to a knockout artist. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a tear-up either way. So, wh- whether it's a points win, I think either a points win for him or he uh, gets it done late. 
to say just the youth and the ambition. I think he, he has got. You, you can't. One thing you can't see. He doesn't have his heart, so he he always leaves it out there. So. Yeah, I think Cheeseman's very much fighting for his matchroom career as well. I think if he loses yeah. this, Eddie Hearn might look at him and think, "Do I, I yeah. do I really need to invest in this guy now? He's proven to me. I've given him two big opportunities, well, quite a few opportunities, really, hasn't he? He's fought for the European title. Okay, like I said before, probably a bit early for him. He's gone back to British level, and he hasn't really came through it like he should have. Yeah. So where do I? Where do I see him going? He's 25 now. He's probably in his prime, it's fair to say. Can he move on to bigger things? If he loses, I'm, I'm not too sure. I think Hearn will see that the same way. I'm going back to what I said. You know, he's, he's got, Hearn's got uh, Conway, he's got Fowler, he's got Fitzgerald, all, all under matchroom as well. So well, and Liam Smith. Yeah. Liam Smith so, is a world level as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think. Uh, he, he needs to he needs to get this win for sure for sure this next fight really interests me and I reckon mm. this has the potential to be the fight of the evening I really do yeah. Chris Congo 12-0 with 7 knockouts against Michael Mackinson 19 wins 0 defeats but just 2 knockouts for his wins it's for the WBO Global Welterweight title Congo's managed by Dillian White. He's a former Team GB, Team GB amateur boxer. He fought the under... Have you on Tavekin and White fight. Achieved a good win against Luther Clay. And is now looking for another big win on a big card against, against Mackinson. Mackinson claims to be the most avoided fighter at welterweight domestically. And has now finally got the opportunity he's been craving. They're both undefeated. This should be an interest, interesting fight, don't you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I really think this fight's gone under the radar. Um, similar to you, I think this is a potential fight of the night. Um, McKinson has sort of been on that small hole level, but you know he has got a big mouth and, and has been calling out quite a lot of people for, for a while now. So this is really an opportunity for him to step up. So with him being an unknown quantity, it'd be interesting who, uh, who turns up. But Congo, I think, is, is good. I personally think he's is you can sort of see the the pedigree and he clearly carries power just from the I think just the sheer size of him at, at that weight. So I don't know how hard it is for him to make that weight, but he's six foot. He's a, a big guy and he's a, he's slick too. So I'm not I'm not really sure what to expect. I, I think Congo looks like Congo's very good, but McKinson, same talking about uh Metcalf. Same same sort of vibe that you know these guys are really coming out here for their chance. You know they've been on the they've been bubbling for however long. This is really this has got the the makings to be a real cracker. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, with Chris Congo, um, he, he looks to be a pretty decent fighter. He's managed by Dillian White. Dillian White seems to believe in him, so he must have something about him and for him yeah. to be under the matchroom banner as well and he, and represent Team GB as an amateur. There has to be something there. The only thing with Chris Congo is he's only really stepped up once. I know he's only had 12 fights, but all the other, if I'm looking at his record now, all of these other opponents he's faced, apart from Luther Clay, haven't really got winning records. So mm-hmm. it's quite tough. It's, there's not much of a benchmark for me to see what kind of level Chris Congo is at. But when I look at um, Mackinson's record, although he's been on these small hall shows, He's he's beaten some good opponents. Like he beat uh, Sammy McNess, who was 10-1-0. Ryan Kelly, 13-1-0. Um, don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, this guy's name, but it's Evgeny uh, Pavko, 18-2-1. Luis Alberto Veron, 17-0, with two draws. Uh, and Michael, Michael Martin Harkin, 13-0. So although he's gone under the radar and been on these small hall shows, he hasn't had easy matchups on paper. The, yeah. He's been in some tough tests. And really, how highly do you rate Mackinson? Do, do you think he's been avoided for a reason? Again, I, I think he's just an unknown quantity. Uh, record-wise, he does look very decent because he's beaten, you know, at least he's not fighting with, you know, just sort of losing, losing records just to pad his record. But at the same time, 
do we know any of these people? No. Again, doesn't mean that, you know, Congo has none of these names either. So it's not like uh, that's a, a dig at him, but I think he's a quite unknown quantity. What I've seen from him, he seems like he's uh, a good fighter. So like I said, you never know, especially tied in with this is his big opportunity. He's very, he's very much dangerous for Congo. So I think going off Congo's last fight, though, I think, you know, I think domestically, I think Luther players was very, very highly regarded. So the way he dealt with him was pretty, you know, was quite, quite impressive. I thought so. You can, you can. It's hard to say. You could go off his record. Um, I think going off of Congo's last fight and what I've seen against, I think Congo get it done, but um. You never know. A lot, a lot of this sort of COVID lockdown, uh, the fight camps and everything, there's been surprises all over the place. So I don't doubt that Congo will be, you know, he's got the sort of the clout, the, the hype going into this, being under the matching banner and obviously being the home fighter in essence. But I think you'd be silly to, to sort of count out McKinson because, you know, like I said, this is, this is his big opportunity now. And clearly he can fight because he's got a, a good record. Yeah, like McKinson, he he really. I think he's done his trade really in terms of coming up the uh, nitty gritty way. And I think now he has. I think he does deserve this opportunity now to to fight on a on a big card to really show if what he's saying is is just hype or is he the real deal. Yeah. And um, from what I've seen of him, he is a tricky southpaw. He doesn't like to engage much and slug it out, but he he likes to make it really awkward for his opponents. He likes to use counter shots. And yeah, I think I think that's probably why the reason that's probably the biggest reason why he's been avoided because he does he, like I said he just doesn't like to engage in his fights and he can make you look silly on the night so it's all important that but I do think someone like Chris Congo can really press him and could could stylistically make it very tough for him it's, it's, just, it's such a fascinating contest really yeah so I think I said just size and Congo I think trying to Counterpunch someone as long as that is is always going to be difficult. So, like I said, you, you never know. You, you literally never know with fights like this. This is a real pick on really because they're both they both really are unknown quantities. So I, I really think it's got a potential to be a real good one. For sure, for sure. Okay then, prediction. Uh, again, I I'm not sure why. Again, it's sort of a limited resume with Congo. But I really, I, I think Congo gets him out of there as well, personally. Um, I think maybe just the size and sort of, this, like you said, the sort of style of McKinson almost being sort of a counter-puncher and uh, being a bit more slick. I think he'll find that hard against someone as rangy and against someone who carries power as well because trying to counter-punch someone who's fighting on the outside is always going to be going to be sticky. So I think Congo. Okay, I think it's going to be a really closely contested fight. And I think it's going to go to a split decision or a draw. Something controversial is going to happen in this fight because I think yeah. they're both all wrong for each other. Congo's going to be the aggressor, yeah. but, but McKinson, McKinson sorry, is going to look to uh, counter him all night. And I've, I think it's going to be a bit of a chess match, but it's going to be a bit of excitement as well. It's going to be a really closely contested fight. I'm going to go for McKinson. I split decision and there'll be a rematch. Nice. I think. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. I think there is a potential for these to be a really ugly fight. You know, really just not engaging because because they, they're both similar sort of sort of styles. So you can't. They're both counter punching. It's not. It's not going to work, is it? So yeah. it'll it'll be interesting. But like I said, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against someone like McKinson because for, for those kind of fighters, this is really. This is it. This is the big one for him. And I think he knows he's obviously quite a charismatic guy. He, he's got a good, he's, you know, the opportunities for him following this in, in a, you know, the welterweight seems very crowded at the moment. And there's a lot going on domestically. Mm -hmm. There's big fights ahead of him for us. So, and potentially getting signed from, from Eddie himself. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and who knows? The, sorry, mate. Who knows? But the winner, the winner of this could end up fighting a uh, Josh Kelly or a Connor Ben. You never know. Yeah, that's what I mean. yeah, I think uh I think I think Ben's probably just pushing a bit ahead of that now. Yeah. Even though I think he still gives I still think 
he's probably still around that level anyway. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah, like you said, Josh Kelly could be a bounce back fight for one of them. It could be uh, Marku even is going to be knocking. I was going to, I was going to ask you the Albanian. I couldn't remember his name, but Marku, he looks a real handful. I don't know if yeah, any of them so, would be a rush to fight him because he's a bit of the beast, isn't he? But Ian McKinson, they're both big talkers, so I'm sure that'd be a yeah. funny press conference. So, and I know there's been a lot of back and forth between this trio, in fact, with Marco Kongu and McKinson and stuff. So I think this fight really sets up that sort of domestic, uh, the peak of the domestic sort of level for the welterweights in, in quite a crowded uh, scene. You know, we've got Chris Jenkins from Wales as well. It's British, yeah. British title. So, that, you know they're really all knocking knocking on the door now. So I, I think regardless of the fight, I think either way McKinson will probably hold a good account of himself. So all, all these fights are, are sort of can, can be made. So it's a, it's a good thing domestically well to wait. Definitely. When I lose to McKinson, I think if it's a close fight and he looks good in it, he will definitely get another opportunity, whether it's with Sky or uh, or BT, I, th- I think he'll definitely yeah. get his chance. And he's managed by MTK, so they'll look after yeah. him for sure. Okay, moving on to Fabio Wardley versus Eric Molina. Wardley mm-hmm. is another fighter managed by Dillian White. A lot of these fighters on the card are managed by Dillian White. Uh, <laughs> Eric Molina is a two-time world title challenger, but 38 years old. Wardley's looked the part so far in his career. I've been quite impressed with him. Ten straight victories, nine knockouts. To be fair, he's already beaten a couple of decent names in a short amount of time. He beat Simon Valilli, who's a decent domestic veteran, and he was a Team GB as well. Mm -hmm. Probably underachieved, I think, his career, Valilli. And that that Richard Larty, who gave Dan Dubois quite a good fight while he was standing. But He rocked Dubois, so very, very, very good. And Wardley absolutely wiped the floor with him. He absolutely destroyed him. Um, they both got winning records. What kind of test do you think Eric Molina will provide for Wardley? I think uh, I think Molina's... I would have said maybe it might have been a bit too soon, not even for the case that, that I, I think Wardley would beat him. That's not the case of that. I think more... There's no need for Wardley to be going as fast as he is. So I have a lot of respect for that because, especially someone with no, you know, with his background in the sort of white collar scenario, there's he's still young. There's no reason for him to to be getting himself in these fights. But you know, he's clearly confident, and he's like we said, he's 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 putting away a lot of these people with ease almost. So I think right now Molina is the perfect fight for him. I think he'll only benefit from taking. You know, they say when. You're that you take their experience so regardless of whatever what Molina turns up he's still a world title challenger so uh, it sort of sets levels to where Wardley is heading so I think this is a, an ideal fight for him just to have a name under his belt and you know keep, keep momentum going. Definitely uh, Fabio Wardley's really impressed me so far in his career he looks very quick uh, very sharp and he's kind of got that American style to him he likes to shoulder roll he likes to counter punch yeah. He's a really, he looks like someone who's had at least 20 amateur bouts in, yeah. in his career. He, uh, that's the sort of crazy thing, because I think your, your first thoughts when you see him that he's just a white-collar fighter is that he's just an athlete and he's just going to come out. He carries so much power that it doesn't matter about technique. But it's almost like a, it's almost been a benefit to him because he, he's very unorthodox for a heavyweight. He's, he's slippery, he's fast, he, and he still obviously carries power because he's putting people away. So... I think it, in some ways it's almost been in his favour, his his sort of uh, unorthodox style, because people are obviously finding it. He's a handful for everyone, so yeah, I think he, I think Molina is a great great fight from now, and he's one that he should come through. Yeah, Fabio Wardley reminds me uh, quite a bit of a heavyweight Anthony Yard in that, mm. that kind of similar style, but yeah. in experience. But the thing yeah. which strikes me with Wardley. I think he's had tougher um, opponents um, at this stage of his career than Yard did, really. Yeah. Because considering that Wardley's only had 10 fights, he's had some two decent wins. And Eric Molina, for his, what, his, his 11th fight, that's not a former world, like you said, a former world title challenger. You know, I know he's been knocked out pretty much every time he's fought for a world title, but it's still a good <laughs> name on his record, really, for this stage of his career. Then, you know, Molina still gave Wilder trouble, so... We're saying Wilder's the third. If Wilder's saying we're saying Wilder's still the third best heavyweight in the world, 
and Molina to give him trouble. You know, Wardley's obviously trying to establish something. So I think, like I said, just to get a win over Molina, it's just a good name to have to, to sort of throw you in that, uh, th those categories and sort of get his tra trajectory right to wh where he's going. For sure. Um, how far do you think Fabio Wardley can go? I don't know. He he's an unknown quantity. I, I think he's the real deal personally. I think that he's. I'm pretty sure he's a he's quite light for for a heavyweight. He's around the mid fifteen stone sort of level, which, which is fine because you know you see Usyk and stuff like that. Like he makes up for it with his speed, and as long as he still carries that power, he's not short either. I don't see that being an issue. He's obviously got some good experience um, with the people he's fought. I think following this fight as soon as he gets the win i wouldn't be surprised if we see british title in the next one or two fights so i, I think right now he's definitely at that level to be to be knocking out i think it's only in fights like that maybe against someone like gorman um that's like a, a great fight for him to sort of establish where he's at but i think at the moment he's still in unknown quantity he's uh that like i said that that style he has is very it's not seen very often in heavyweights right now and it's clearly giving people handfuls because we sort of we put a transition from uh, sort of huge heavyweights, just big boys who, who've got power. But now it seems like the, the more fiddly ones, the more slippery ones, uh, are really causing troubles for those who can't who can't adapt to it. So I don't know. I think uh, we'll he'll, we'll find out more about him as we go forward. But trajectory wise, like you could, you could, I don't see why he couldn't go. Uh, go go all the way. Yeah, the way he moves, he he's like a middleweight, isn't he? He's just I I love watching the guy, and I think the best thing if I was his promoter, obviously Eddie Hearn and his manager Dillian White, I think it's all about learning fights to him, and I think just go up the domestic route, do do the yeah. traditional British European world level, and do you know what? I think he'll do well at British level. I think he'll definitely be yeah. at least British champion. Like you said, yeah. Nathan Gorman would be a great fight for him. Tell you what, I think he gives Daniel Dubois trouble in early, early in the fight. Probably not ready, not ready for that now. But further down the line, I can see him and Dubois getting it on. Put you yeah. never know. Three fights time, maybe Chisora, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think I hope they don't rush him too much because I think we're sort of in a transition period with the heavyweights either way. So I think we need to let it die out. With we need Anthony Joshua, we need Tyson Fury, Wilder to sort of do their thing and then free up the belts again. I think when that next wave comes, this is when the perfect time when you see the Wardleys, you see the Dubois, maybe even, maybe Joyce will be, might be heavyweight champion by then, something like that. But you know, I think he's probably the next, the next wave. So there's no, I hope they don't rush him too much because he will only benefit from, from just getting more fights because he hasn't got that experience, including his, yeah, I think he had four, four white collar fights. So, and he's had what ten fights so far. So that's only it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And to see how how like I say he looks like a school a school fighter. Yeah. He, he's very slick. So I think um, yeah. I hope they don't rush him, but he's I think he's got really good potential to to go a long way. What I love about him as well, he, he comes across as one of those guys like they'll offer him a step up, and if he, and they'll you know hear will say. Do you want to fight this guy? Um, it's a bit of a step up for you, but do you think you're ready? Yeah. And you know straight away he will not hesitate to say yes. He will take that fight straight away. Yeah. And you know it could be, it could be what you know that that could be the first herd in his career. He might take fights that are too soon, but yeah. the attitude this guy has, I mean, that's why yeah. Dillian White loves him because he yeah. he just wants to fight everyone, doesn't he? It's, you can see it in his boxing because even you said the shoulder rolls. You gotta be. You gotta really believe yourself to to get in with big punches and and be leaving yourself. You know, trusting your speed to do stuff like that. So he's clearly full of confidence. So I think yeah. as long as he gets directed the right way, he's got a really good potential. And and he's obviously got. We've only seen however much of him. He's got obviously so much room to grow. Imagine what he's like after after being through uh, as much, after he gets some actual experience. So. Yeah, real one to watch, I think. Sure. I think we've come, I was going to ask you, if he comes through this with ease, how would you step him up? But we've already talked about that. We want to see him go the traditional way. Um, yeah. Prediction? I, I think, well, I think at this stage now, 
Molina, even though where he's been, I think he's just looking for the, the sort of just the fights. And I think in this last couple of fights, he's looked pretty rough. You know, he lost to Dominic Brazil, who I personally think is awful. So I think he's, <laughs> not, he's not looking for a. I, I think Wardley gets him out of there fairly, maybe maybe mid rounds if, if Molina tries to just drag it out a bit. But I can't see him being much of a. I can't see much coming back from Molina. So I think Wardy sort of takes him out with ease. Yeah, I'm going to go for one round. I, I, <laughs> I, I honestly think Wardy's going to be too sharp, too quick for him. I don't think Molina has the best chin in the world. I know he's been in with some good men, but I, I really do think Wardy's just going to be too quick, too sharp. And yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if he knocks Martin around. And if I put bet money on it, I would do that for sure. Fair enough. Okay. Moving on, we're gonna. So, a very exciting professional debut is happening on this card. Son of the British boxing legend, Campbell Hatton, son of the great Ricky Hatton. Josh, if his son is anywhere close to being as gifted and talented as his father, we're in for a great ride, surely. Yeah, undoubtedly. Obviously, Ricky Hatton's one of the Brit, uh, British, uh, one of the great uh, Brits. So, you know, it's it's all there laid out for him really to to follow suit. I know just watching him, uh, I've seen a couple of his fights amateur. He's he's uh, he seems uh, decent. He's obviously, quite fast and uh, all of that. But again, it's an unknown quantity really until until you start getting into big fights. So. Yeah, I think he's going to have it all laid out for him to, to go as far as he wants in the sport, really. It'll just be, again, sort of going back to Wardley. I think he, as long as he gets the right fights and it's not rushed too much to be Hatton again, you know, he's still young. He just needs to just do it the right way and don't get too sucked into the, the sort of uh, junior vibe. I think, you, I think you, you know, you got, we, we are in for a great ride. It's, it's nice to see. For sure. Um, you know, 19 years of age, already a father. It's well documented that despite how great a fighter his dad was and what he achieved in the game, he possibly could have achieved more if he des- dedicated himself a lot better. He used to blow up, to, like, he used to put on like five or six stone in between fights and still came up with the goods until he came up against the real elite like your Mayweathers and your Pacquiao's. Um, being managed by Ricky and trained by his uncle, Matthew Hatton, who's also a former world title challenger and European champion for Canelo. Surely this will give him the guidance and stability needed to reach the top, provided he does have the skills and the capabilities, don't you think? Yeah, of course. I think, again, going back to him just being Campbell, just being a Hatton, just the network that he'll have available to him. You know, he's already been signed by Hearn. Everything will be going in his way for him to go to to do this the right way. So I think as long as he got the skills, I don't see. I think he'll he'll hold a good account for himself. So yes, we're, so we're in we're in for a good ride. You, you don't know what's going to happen, but they'll. I'd like to think they get the best out of him, and he's got a lot more going for him than his dad probably would have. So when he first started. Yeah, like you said, he, he signed for Eddie Hearn and Match Room, probably the biggest platform for him, definitely in the UK, possibly the world now with Canelo and AJ under that yeah. banner now. Do you think this is a good move for him? Or do you think the pressure could be a bit too much considering, like we said, he's the son of Ricky Hatton. He's now he's promoted by probably arguably the biggest promoter in the game right now. Do you think there's a lot? Do you think that could be too much pressure for him? Um, I think undoubtedly it's going to be a lot of pressure. I think, like I said, watching his amateur, uh, some of his amateur career, I don't always know he's, he's still young. I don't think he was at that sort of elite level. So I think he's, it makes sense for him really to, uh, if he's not, if he's sort of just trudging around the same sort of uh, level of amateur, you know, it's probably good just to get, you know, to get some experience and uh, start marketing himself. Because I think nowadays, if you're not, it's almost like if you're not going to, the Olympics, you might as well just, just get get out of there and, and start uh, making some money and start building profile because there's so many good amateurs that are now who, who are still unknown to, to most people that uh, you could argue waste too much time doing it. So 
you know, he's like I said, he's got everything laid out for him here to have a really good, uh, to have a good few fights to get good popularity and get get the British behind him. So I think it will be a lot of pressure, um, but I think it's just about raising in the right way and sort of leaning into it because you know you could argue about uh, sort of like when Conor Ben came in, you know, he especially someone like Nigel Ben who's you know he's the dark destroyer. He's he's a he's a, a scary guy. You, yeah, that's even more so. You need to come in and be uh be you know be carry all this power and be knocking people out left right and center so he he's done it the right way and just taking his time and and uh and look at him now he's still he's still young he's about 24 25 and he's he's uh he's on good track to where he's going so he didn't have much of an amateur background but i think it's just giving him the right fights and still remembering he's still he's still young he doesn't need to be rushed ahead any further than he does so um yeah it'll be interesting yeah, for sure. I think it's a big investment potentially as well for, for Matchroom. Obviously, being the son of Ricky Hatton, carrying that yeah. name, Ricky had some massive crowds and unbelievable nights, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, he took he took 40,000 over to Vegas. So there's a lot of potential yeah. in there. If he, if he can if he can kind of draw that same amount of um, publicity and interest, it could be an absolute coup by Eddie Hearn. Okay, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up from there. Thank you all for listening to the third episode of The Clinch. Just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at capital Y underscore capital C for Clinch. You can also check us out on Instagram at Clinch Fight Podcast. And you can also search us on YouTube by typing in A Clinch Fight Podcast as well. Do not forget to subscribe and like our video, please. Thank you very much. Goodbye for now.